Hey, welcome everybody uh, tonight to Knox County Brewing Company and to the first official live podcast report recording um, of many paths. Um, and so I appreciate that you're here tonight. If this is your first time at Knox County Brewing Company, thanks for coming out and giving us a try. If it's not your first, whatever the reason is, if you're here to talk about pot or <laughs> whatever it is, I appreciate that you're here. Um, we are a values-based business. Um, so I'm just going to tell you a little bit about us. Um, we were established in October of 2018, which is last year. So we will celebrate one year on October 19th. So if you feel like uh, coming to a party in about a month, come back out. Or we're having a big celebration on October 19th. Um, lots of fun that day as well. Um, but our values include, and I'm going to point the, to our logo on the wall. Um, they are, the wheat represents local. Um, we believe very strongly in local economy, doing all that we can to source our, our products locally. Everything that goes into our beer, we get it as close as we can to both Illinois and the Midwest. Um, Middle one there, sorry, I'm going to take a breath. Middle one there um, represents community. Those are the hands. Um, those represent the fact that we really believe strongly in the people that live here in the Midwest around us. It's one of the reasons we're here tonight, frankly. We want to talk about um, uh, issues that affect our community. So that's the second value I'd like to point out. And then finally, the, the most important one, um, the sun. It represents uh, charity, which is giving back, right? So none of us can survive without the sun. Um, we need it to give to us so that we're able to live and breathe on this planet. Um, and we believe very strongly in giving back. We are a give back company. So every percentage, I'm, I'm struggling to breathe. I'm really sorry. I'm going to slow down. <laughs> every per, every uh, every sale um, that we make tonight, that you uh, that you purchase tonight, everything that you purchase from our brewery, a percentage of that will go back into the local uh, community. So our nonprofit currently is Western Illinois Nature Group. Uh, they uh, support the Blackthorn Nature Preserve, which is out near Lake Story, um, and we'll select a new one here just in a few days. So anyhow, those are our values. Um, I am going to hand the mic over to Bruce and or Peter, whoever wants it first. Um, but again, I would encourage you very strongly to participate. Um, civil discourse is something we often don't get to participate anymore because uh, a lot of these conversations have gone to the internet, so we lose the ability to talk about it. Um, and I'm so really excited uh, to have that opportunity tonight. So welcome our panel, and thanks so much. So yeah, you guys, it's awesome. You guys are here, and we're here. And um, you know, this is the first of hopefully many events. So if you were at, just imagine if you were at the first Beatles concert, that'd be pretty cool. You could tell your grandchildren, right? So you're at the first Mini Paz podcast, which is cool. And we think uh, Bruce and I think that you know this. We don't know where this is going to go, but we think it might really uh, drum up a lot of interest and, and get people talking again. We feel that part of our motivation for doing the columns in the paper and then this event is people aren't talking, uh, especially about local issues, and we really need to re revamp that and get that going. We're very thankful to have this event here. We chose this location in particular because we felt it, 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 it uh, represented the values we have uh, as well, uh, many of the ones uh, Sarah just mentioned. So thank you again. Um, just to give you uh, just a moment um, to, to have an idea of what we're going to do. So. Um, Bruce, Bruce and I, Peter, myself, and Bruce are going to give brief introductions, very brief, and then uh, we're going to the panelists are going to introduce themselves. We have uh, what five people behind me who, in various ways, are in, in invested in cannabis, and and they're going to explain you know what they do. Uh, so they're going to do a brief introduction, and then we're going to have a few questions for them that they're all going to answer, and that you know we're thinking that might take about a half an hour, and then we want to open it up to you guys. Uh, we want to get your questions, your comments and your, your engagement. Now, note, we are recording. Um, so if you don't want to speak or you don't want to mention your name, that's fine. But you, if you speak, 
into a mic. Bruce got a mic. He's going to be running around. Uh, you will be recorded, and it's actually broadcasted live right now. Some people in the world, cyberspace, are watching us. Um, and then we're, we have a we have an audio tape, and we want to thank Sarah's dad, yes, for helping us. Uh, tremendous help getting all this together. We wouldn't have been able to do this without his his effort and donation of time. Um, but we're going to have a, a actual a podcast that we're going to share on our uh, Facebook page, and then you're welcome to disseminate as well. So that's just a brief introduction. We're really glad you're here, and we don't want to waste too much more time. So real quickly, so most of you know who I am. My name is Peter Schwartzman, um, the, the two-headed monster in this operation. Um, I teach at Knox College. I've been here in, in this part of the country since 1998. I'm also an alderman uh, in the city of Galesburg. I'm in my ninth year of doing that. I also have two lovely children who are in the high school here, one of whom is sick at home. I hope she's doing well. So I saw her before I came, and I'm, you know, I'm hopefully quick recovery there. Uh, but, but I'm, you know, very engaged in the community, and really think Galesburg um, can do marvelous things. Bruce. My name is Bruce Wyke. I, uh, my wife and I have just returned to Galesburg after being here for 30 years. Um, in these parts, I'm better known as the Peaver. Uh, I wrote for the Zephyr for 16 years out of its 20-year existence. Unfortunately, uh, with the death of uh, the editor, that came to an end. Peter and I have worked together in the past. We've uh, written some things in the past for the Zephyr. We actually were uh, very successful. When I knew I was coming back, I got in touch with Peter and we kept in touch. I said, Peter, we gotta, we're gonna have to do something. Um, so as soon as I got into town, we got together. Um, we got in with the register mail, which is a bit of a surprise. Um, but we're writing a column. The first one uh, is probably gonna be the second Sunday of the month. The, the second one will be the fourth Sunday and in between we're hoping to do the podcast so that we can get information and feedback to put into the second column. So it's not just us and our ideas, but hey, here's, here's what was said, here's what we heard, and here's what's gonna, you know, what looks like it's gonna happen. So we're off and running. Thank you for uh, coming tonight. And uh, let's see what happens. So let's introduce the speakers. They're going to introduce themselves. Uh, I think we just need to point the mic in, in your direction. So let's start here and move around. Uh, my name is Brandon Bentz. I am the vice president of a company called Fusion Tech out of Roseville, Illinois. Um, lived in this area for 20 plus years. And uh, currently, um, we build a lot of food processing equipment. And now we are taking the approach and building commercial dehydrators or dryers for the cannabis industry. Um, currently, we just delivered our first four units into Canada and been, uh, been a lot of companies been reaching out for us for help in other areas of the cannabis industry. Uh, my name is Demarcus Medley. Um, I grew up in Chicago, me and my brother, my family. We moved to Galesburg in 2001 when I was about 16 years old. 
Um, so I've been here over half my life. I currently work as a distribution designer for Ameren, Illinois, out of Peoria. I have an ever-growing family. Um, our kids, myself and my wife, our kids' age, age range from 18 to 1. <laughs> with one on the way. So um, and, um, I'm also um, owner and operator of Green Lord's Farm. We, uh, we grow organic produce using aquaponics, and we raise fish. And we also, um, this year, we're growing industrial hemp. And I'm just uh, happy to be here, and thanks for inviting me. Hello, uh, my name is Hello, my name is Kelvin Medley. I'm a chief operating officer of Green Lords Inc. Me and my brother, and I'm also a level one boxing coach with uh, Galesburg Youth Athletic Club. Also uh, the director of the after school program that we'll be starting uh, this year actually with at the Rays. Uh, what's the regional, what's the Rays? The after, uh, alternative school here in Knox College, uh, Rays Academy, we'll be working with them. Uh, working with the students, helping them get back and uh, helping their transition from raise back into the high school, and uh, also just, just I'll just help 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 out the community as much as I can. Uh, my name is Kelvin McCabe. I'm a criminal defense attorney currently in Macomb, Illinois, soon to be in Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, I am also a board member of the Illinois Chapter of Normal, which stands for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. It's one of the oldest legalization. Uh, political action groups in the country. I've been doing that since approximately 2003 when I was in law school. We did help and did lobby towards the uh, passage of the legalization bill here and prior to that uh, decriminalization as well as the medical law. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Shannon Bollegear. I am the manager of Nature's Treatment of Illinois in Milan. Um, we are the medical cannabis dispensary in the Quad Cities. Um, I am born and raised in the Quad Cities. I went to school um, at University of Illinois Springfield, um, made my way back to the Quad Cities after college, and immediately got started with Nature's Treatment. Um, Nature's Treatment will also be opening a um, recreational dispensary in the Galesburg area, so I'm kind of here to answer questions about um, the dispensary, the storefront, um, how things work. Um, so, thank you. Well, I guess I'm just supposed to do this. Um, let me just say, um, obviously we have an amazing panel. I mean, for us to be able to pull this together, thanks Bruce, Bruce reached out to most of these folks. Um, and, and I think it's important to know, I mean, again, we want to emphasize, in our community, uh, we have some amazing people, right, who are doing some really um, avant-garde types of things. And, and that's why we just want to keep reiterating that. And part of our goal in our column is to, to establish that. Um, we, want to, we want to let these folks talk a little bit more, maybe about, about their business, maybe why they got into it. Um, what, what their goals are, that kind of thing. So we're gonna give them each a few minutes to do that. And then as I said, we're gonna allow folks to, uh, to, to make comments and ask questions in the audience. Um, so we ended up getting involved um, in the cannabis industry about two years ago. We were called and approached by a large um, 
cannabis manufacturer in Canada looking for help um, to dry uh, trimming buds, the trim off of buds in order to press it into CBD oils. They need to extract about 80% of the moisture in the trimmings before they press it, CO2 press it, and extract the oils. So they came to us since we do a lot in the food industry and we understand uh, the quality to what you need in the food design and asked us if we could take the designs that we're currently using to do like beef jerky and snack sticks and uh, ribs and things like that and change that technology to, to help in a cannabis world since it didn't really exist. So that's kind of how we got started. And then recently we've been approached from a Colorado company um, to help and design a system to remediate or help remediate an uh, issue that they're having in the hemp industry, which is black mold from growing hemp in the outdoors. So we're lurking with this company right now in order to develop white pages and to develop a process in order to take um, this contaminated hemp and remediate it and remove the black mold. So these are things that we're trying to do in this industry to um, produce jobs in this area and to grow our business as well. Thank you. Um, so I guess I've never been asked why I got into the cannabis business, so I never really thought about, thought about it too much. But as um, some of you may know, my brother and I operate a small farm um, here in Galesburg, and we use aquaponics to raise produce and fish. And uh, I just kind of saw opportunity, you know, um, to get in and, um, you know, make money, you know, and, and with a crop that's beneficial also. And it, and it kind of blended in with our goals. Um, my brother would always tell me, I thought it was crazy stuff, like, oh, you can take this root of a weed plant, not a weed plant, but, yeah, a burgot root, right? And you can, like, mix it in tea. And I'm like, well, you come do it, you know? Because <laughs> I, I don't know anything about that. So, so I just thought it... Um, it works well with what we're doing, and um, and that actually made me do a little bit of research on hemp in America, and it turns out that um, black people have been involved with hemp since the beginning of hemp in the Americas, through um, because hemp is a very labor-intensive crop, right? They don't have farming equipment that you can go out there, and um, and harvest your hemp. We're not for CBD anyway. You want the, the, those those flowers are very precious, right? And um, you don't want to damage it during the harvesting period. So they used um, slave labor. Um, to harvest these hemp plants, so it's, it's deep, deep in our blood, you know, and um, and the, basically the hemp industry was built off the black, the backs of, um, of slaves, and um, and not only just the labor part. We have very, um, very um, influential people like George Washington Carver, who introduced the many uses of hemp. So that kind of encouraged me to really want to go after it and uh, and and do some good things with it, and, and hopefully like even create some jobs. And just here recently with the new recreational laws, um, myself being a black farmer with a sustainable growth system has made me a very popular person in the um, cannabis industry because it, um, it's about the numbers, right? If you want a license, you, get so, you have to have so many points for this license. And being black helps, <laughs> you get about 50 points, you know? And a lot of these licenses are won by a third of a point. So uh, I became more of an um, a asset, and I, I never thought that would, that would happen to us. We just kind of started off to grow food 
you know, and um, have our after school program. So I'm just excited about what the future may bring. Well, like my brother said, I, I was never really asked this question or I never really got into the cannabis industry. <laughs> I pretty much was joined with my brother into it. You know, if it's good for the business, then it's good for us and I'm in it. But I think my part in it is just to, you know, to help the community, uh, educate the community about the, uh, the this can, uh, cannabis and hemp, you know, and if, I, if I'm able to learn it and grow it, then I want to be able to teach it also. So I think this is my goal or, or my influence into it is just teaching it, you know, learning as much as I can so I can teach it. And I graduated high school in 1996. That was also the same year that California had uh, legalized medical cannabis via Prop 215. Um, I went to college, and I believe uh, most people who uh, attended university, or even not, uh, know that cannabis is one of the most popular recreational substances that people use. I understand that we're in a brewery, and I do think there is a little bit of hypocrisy that alcohol is legal that people can smoke cigarettes and kill hundreds of thousands of people a year. To my knowledge, cannabis has never killed anybody in the history of the world, and it's a Schedule One federal controlled substance. Over the years, uh, last several years, we know that hundreds of thousands of people have been arrested for possessing cannabis, for using cannabis. We know that people use it for medical reasons. There's legitimate science behind it. And I think it's, uh, frankly, it's BS. Now the laws are slowly changing. Uh, progress is being made. I feel it's a, at a little bit of a snail's pace because we know uh, the ramifications when you give someone a criminal record, we know what that happens to their life. We know it follows them around. It makes it harder to get housing, to get jobs. And one of the good things about the, uh, the, the legalization bill here in Illinois is that there's expungement provisions in it. It's trying to right some of the wrongs of the past, if you will, and clear some of those uh, records up so that people can then move forward. We have a long way to go. This bill, while it does make significant progress, um, it's, it's a little bit limited in its scope. That is, it's, it's going to be hard for a mom and pop style shop to see success with the way that the uh, regula regulatory framework is currently set up. We are actively lobbying to change that. Um, we do believe that given the popularity of the use of cannabis and coinciding with the uh, lessening penalties for possessing it, et cetera, um, we do believe that there is a huge untapped potential market out there where you shouldn't need $50 million to get your foot in the door. The question is, is how long is this going to take? We know that other states have gone before us. Uh, Washington, Oregon, California, et cetera, they're many more years advanced than we are. And from all accounts, you know, the, the, the warnings from the people that were opposed to it that the sky was going to fall have not come true. There is not mass carnage on the roads. People are not dying, of course, because it's not fatal. Um, so I think that as more and more states continue to do this, and Illinois is going to be joining those states, I think more and more people will see that the potential dangers or the perceived dangers simply don't exist. 
And then once people see it with their own eyes, hopefully um, it'll change the attitude of the legislators. And um, instead of regulating it, regulating it so severely, like, uh, I don't know, nuclear waste, maybe they could regulate it more like tomatoes. Now, the normal itself, um, since the early 1970s, has been advocating for basically uh, reform of the prohibition of cannabis to prevent all these negative uh, ramifications for people that choose to use that. And we do believe that in many respects, choosing to use cannabis is a safer alternative to possibly drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes or other things that people do. And if that's the case, then we need to make sure our laws reflect what the people in society are actually doing. And we do know that significant hundreds of thousands of people in Illinois use cannabis regularly. And if they don't have a medical card, they're getting at it through the illegal market. Um, so we have to think about what are we going to do about that? And with the new dispensary coming to Galesburg, um, the, I think that one of the goals of legalization would be to displace the illegal market and replace it with a regulated and tax market. And that's where we're heading right now. Uh, we still got a lot of work to do though. Thank you. Um, so I got started with nature's treatment um, mainly because the dispensary was looking for someone with a marketing background. Um, they were looking for someone to run their social media accounts, um, something with you know, somebody with a business background. Um, I graduated in business marketing, so when I saw that the position had opened up, you know, I applied. Um, when getting started in the industry, I had no idea what to expect. Um, but since I've gotten started, I've become a huge um, supporter of medical cannabis. I, I've seen cannabis change lives for a lot of people. Um, so it's a really exciting time to be in this industry, especially in Illinois. Um, you know, we're going to see a lot of positive come from this industry and through that regulated market. Um, we're really excited to get started in Galesburg. Um, we're wrapping up the licensing and everything right now through the state um, so that we can be operational by January 1st. Um, with the industry, um, there's over 80,000 patients right now in Illinois that have their medical cards. Um, and like Kevin was saying, you know, there's another, you know, thousands that are using cannabis on the black market. Um, we will see that regulation come through where people are getting associated with um, legal cannabis. And, you know, we're really excited as Nature's Treatment to you know, be a part of the Galesburg area. Um, So we're, we're learning as we're doing this, right? So, uh, I mean, I had three questions, and I kind of asked them all at once, and that wasn't what I was supposed to do, but, you know, you know, this is number one, right? The Beatles probably didn't sound that great the first time either. Um, anyhow, you know, we, we really want to hear from the public. We're glad you guys are here. Uh, there was, a, you know, we published our pieces in the paper, and there was quite a bit of commentary on Facebook about it. Um, you, you probably know, right, the city of Galesburg, uh, the council approved uh, the zoning for a cannabis uh, dispensary, and which is apparently is will be located on the corner of Main Street and Henderson, right, with the old Aldi's building. Um, there was some controversy about that. Um, there may be other dispensaries that pop up in, the, in Galesburg. Um, uh, just last night, 
Knox County Board approved uh, such things as well. Um, some neighboring communities have voted no. Um, others, and, and even statewide. So it's, it's kind of a, somewhat of a mixed bag. Um, but definitely where we can tell just from the panel, right, we have, and people didn't even know this probably until the paper shone light on it, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes maybe in a negative way, but we have people uh, growing hemp in, in the city limits legally, right? Um, we have folks building machinery to, to deal with large volume hemp production. And just, just to clarify, cannabis is a plant, um, that's a scientific name, and it includes uh, hemp, uh, which has uh, many uh, cannabinoids, cannabinoids, right? I've never said that word, certainly not on a podcast, <laughs> cannabinoids. So, um, and CBD being the most well-known. Um, and marijuana is also cannabis, and marijuana also has CBD, but marijuana also has THC. And, and so, and that's what has the psychotropic uh, effect. Um, so there's some confusion, and part of, even in talking to everyday people, that distinction's not made. Um, hemp, as DeMarcus was saying, um, hemp has a long history globally, and certainly in the, in the formation of the United States, and during World War II, uh, most, most immediately. So in what I understand, I wasn't living in Galesburg at the time, I wasn't even alive at the time, but um, in this area, uh, hemp production was very widespread. And there was, and in fact, it was something you could do to support the fight, right? To support the country, to, to do, your, do what you could to support the war effort, which, which was a very significant uh, thing. And then soon afterwards, the laws clamped down on not only marijuana, but hemp. And, and we have you know, experts here who can talk more about that if asked. Um, so that's just a little background, a little bit of clarification about some things. Um, I'm open to just to, and, and Bruce is the runner, so he's got a, a microphone on him, and please, uh, again, you don't have to say who you are. You're welcome to if you want. You can say why you came here, what your interest is, and, and I, I want to make something really clear. Um, there are no bad questions. You know, there are no bad comments unless you're attacking someone personally. That, that's problematic, but other than that, um, I think you don't have to agree with the canalists. Um, you can take an alternative position. We welcome that very much so, frankly. Um, and, you know, your, your question might be what you might consider very rudimentary, but that's okay, because probably 50% um, of the public is in the same position. And we want to make sure through this effort that we get to those people as well, right, to get them up to speed on some of the basics. And we have the experts here, so let's utilize them. Bruce? Can you find someone who wants to ask something or do you want to say something? We have a question. Does it work? There. Um, I'm Mary Ann Schwartz. I'm the supervisor of probation services in Knox County. I've been in probation 35 years. I am not against medical cannabis, all for it. We've seen beneficial things. I'm all for hemp. I totally understand the good products that are made from it. Very good products. My question is, with the sale of cannabis, is any of the money going towards treatment facilities? Because in my years 
as a as a officer, it's a gateway drug. I mean, we I have officers here. A lot when we do drug testing, there's always there's always THC along with the heroin and the cocaine and the meth. There's THC along with it. A lot of my clients have said, you know, I started this and then it wasn't enough. Is there money going to be going for treatment facilities to help in that? Because we are very lacking in that in the state of Illinois. We have people on waiting lists for treatment facilities. And I know you said no one's died from it. Well, I know of people who have been on probation for hitting people with cars because they were high on, you know, cannabis. And that's what they were high on. So. The main thing is about treatment for I'll me. Talk about the yeah, so um, I actually have I have the the rules and laws for the state revenue of what they plan to do with recreational cannabis. So um, remaining revenue after the tax revenue has been deposited into the cannabis regulation fund. Um, it is a self-sustaining program. Um, Thirty-five percent goes to that general revenue fund. 25% will be transferred to the Restoring Our Communities Fund for community reinvestment. 20% um, will be transferred to a fund that supports mental health and substance abuse services at local health departments. 10% um, will be transferred to the Budget Stabilization Fund to pay the backlog of unpaid bills. 8% is transferred to the Illinois Law Enforcement Training and Standards Board. And then 2% is transferred to the Drug Treatment Fund to fund public education and awareness. Um, so that's in the rules right now of what they plan to do with that revenue. Uh, to the other point regarding the gateway theory, uh, multiple different scientific publications have looked into that, uh, done longitudinal studies, and they basically have debunked that theory. Um, me personally, I do believe that if you resort to the underground or black market to source your cannabis, there's a better chance that you'll be offered other drugs. And if you go to a store that only sells cannabis, and doesn't have those other options, it's much less likely they're going to be offered a more serious or hard drug. Um, we do know from experience in Portugal, in Amsterdam, in the Netherlands, etc., where these uh, cafes and stuff make cannabis available, that their uh, addiction rates, etc., um, are significantly lower than the United States. We have tried to use prohibition to stop what would be considered uh, sometimes self-medicating behavior or destructive behaviors, putting people in jail, does not work. We know that. They get out of jail and they go back. I would say, uh, as concerns probation um, and drug testing, I would hope, once it's legal for anyone over the age of 21, that they will stop testing for THC. I hope they will do so. It will be legal. I understand they might still test for it, and there's drug testing companies that make a lot of money off of those tests. They have an incentive to keep those drug tests going. It's ridiculous. Well, it's also, we test for alcohol too, and it's legal. And we've been, they're court ordered not to use alcohol too. We don't want any mind altering substances during the time that they are on probation. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's anything that's mind altering. We do not want them on while they're on probation. We want clear headed, and also, you know, we try to, you know, get them into the work market. A lot of places are going to be saying, no, you cannot have marijuana in your system while you're working. And we want them to go in, you know, with a positive, clean attitude of let's get off this. Let's, you know, so you can get a good job. 
know. when you're on probation, you can go forward. We have to remember and that uh, cannabis does stay in the system significantly longer than most other recreational drugs. Uh, cocaine or something like that would usually be out of your yeah. system in three days. Cannabis, for a regular user, can stay in your system for 30 to 45 days. It's not just a matter of do you test positive. The question is also one of impairment. Right. You don't, nobody expects someone to be at work impaired whether it's alcohol or cannabis. Right. The and question is, is do you punish somebody because they smoked three weeks ago and they're at work today, they're sober, and you're gonna say, well, you failed your drug test, we gotta fire you. I think that's ridiculous. It doesn't match up to the science. Well, that, they have to work that out because I know it's part of um, workman's comp and places like that. They have to work, look at their Yes, and companies. companies save money by implementing drug policies. They save money on insurance. So this is gonna take a little bit more than just the state of Illinois doing something. It's gonna take action on the federal level. And we are working very diligently and hard to change federal law because once that happens, we will start to see some of these other more draconian and I would say outdated policies uh, get updated, so to speak. Uh, real quickly, um, you may have known or heard that very recently Canada legalized marijuana at the federal level. And uh, that's uh, pretty big news considering it's right up, you know, we could get there in six hours, maybe, maybe a little, a few more. It depends on if you fly, right? You get there a lot faster. Anyway, um, the, the, I guess I just want to follow up because it's timely. You know, what, what's behind that? Because that, for a country like Canada, similar to the United States, to make such a big move, how do you, where do you see that fitting in? Well, um, Canada always took a little bit less drastic approach to uh, the penalties. If you were caught in Canada with a personal use amount of cannabis, that's um, always been a little bit less than it would be uh, comparable to the, most states in the United States. I do think um, the, the west coast of Canada, uh, British Columbia in particular, uh, the BC area and Vancouver have, have a long history of having unsanctioned or so-called uh, I don't know what you would really call them. Uh, they've had cannabis cafes for a long time. They, they weren't legal, but they were tolerated. Um, there just was lack of enforcement to shut them down. Um, I also think Canada have a smaller population. Um, they do things a little bit different. Um, they have national health care. They have other policies that are different. And I think it's more of a, they made a decision on resource allocation. Where do we want to fund our law enforcement resources, where we want to focus on. And they made a decision to not focus on cannabis and then in, in turn uh, tax and regulate it and then take the money that they're saving on enforcement and then putting it into other programs that they have, whether it's healthcare initiatives or, or whatever. I think it is a good example uh, for our federal government, um, but the, the two countries are not exactly one-to-one uh, -one comparison, so it's gonna be hard for us to simply follow the Canadian model because we have a federalist a different system, a legal system, so to speak. Let me follow up for just a second. Uh, I don't want to hold the mic. Guys. Again, in a farmer life, uh, I was a substance abuse counselor. Um, marijuana always was a uh, mysterious thing to us, uh, mainly because it just has not been researched very well. Um, we could see repeated issues come up, uh, but there was no way of really knowing the science behind it. 
uh, the government did most of the studies. And the government, of course, remains to this day uh, against the idea. So uh, it, it's a drug that's not easily categorized. You know, you can take you know, painkillers, you can take amphetamines and put them into uh, categories. Marijuana doesn't really fit into any of them very well. Some people can hallucinate from marijuana. A lot of times that might be, might be from something having been added. Uh, things can come up. We saw a lot of amotivational syndrome. You know, just the bottom line was you don't know for sure because nothing has been done. Now, maybe, hopefully, the country will be able to do some good research in terms of are some of these things legitimate that we need to watch out for. Obviously, the same thing holds true for alcohol. Things can come up that we got to watch out for. Uh, we may need to watch out for some things. We know, for instance, adolescents shouldn't use marijuana. That's not a good idea. That's pretty well been proven. So we're going to have to watch out for that. Adults got these things laying around. Hopefully the kids are not going to find them. So there's a long, uh, I think there's a long road, many paths, uh, you know, to still look down to see uh, what might happen in terms of um, the results of cannabis use. So as business owners and on a legal aspect, you mentioned earlier that cannabis is in the blood system for about 35 to 40 days. As, again, as business owners and legally, how do we plan to regulate that? Like if someone in your business who works for you comes in with marijuana in their blood and really they're just having a bad day, but you have to drug test them. Or on the roads, are we going to expect police to carry around blood testing kits when someone's driving a little loop-D, and that's really because they're looking at their phone, not because they have marijuana in their system. So how, how do, should we expect for that to be regulated? Um, it's my understanding um, that there are multiple companies doing research now to try to detect present impairment. We talked about how long it stays in your system, and if you smoked three weeks ago, and then I talked up here today, if you drug test me, I would still test positive, but I could be sober. So there are clues of impairment that officers out on the road um, that they use. They're similar to the field sobriety test for alcohol. They're called divided attention tasks. And if you want to get real technical, you can get what's called the modified Romberg test. Um, these are just enhanced field sobriety tests that officers would use in the field to try to see if there are clues of impairment. That is, if you fail these tests, it's more likely than not that you are currently under the influence. And, and employment areas, uh, we're seeing advances in saliva testing because, you know, with the blood test, you got to have someone who's like a nurse or something to take the blood. Then you got to send it to a lab. This all takes time. They were trying to do what's called instant, basically instant saliva testing where they can do it and get a result in 10 minutes to let you know whether or not you're currently under the influence of, of cannabis. And I think, like I said, it, uh, with, at normal, uh, our, our advocacy 
is about responsible adult use. Responsible use is not abuse. You can abuse a lot of things, gambling, shopping, sex, alcohol, whatever. So I think as it becomes more normalized, that people will self-regulate their behavior and hopefully if you have a friend that's using too much that somebody would say something to him, hey, you know, you need to chill out a little bit, take care of your business, be responsible. So with legalization, I would hope that it doesn't become such a taboo so people aren't scared to bring up the topic. It, nothing is 100% perfectly safe. I get that. Cannabis has never killed anybody in the history of the world. That's pretty damn safe compared to a lot of other things that are legal and that people do. So I think we have to do a comparison. And if cannabis falls at the, uh, the safer uh, level of those comparisons, then we have to question why it's treated so severely and harshly and punished so harshly when you get, get caught with it. So these are things that I think about. So sure, cannabis itself has never killed anyone in the world, but there are multiple cases where cannabis-impaired drivers have hit someone and killed them or killed themselves. So I would include that in what is statistics. Thank you. Um, yes, so and, was it and really that's presently illegal and is, will remain illegal after uh, January 1st. Sure, but was it really a smart idea for us to legalize that until there's a way to test it? Because anyone can just go out and drive right now, but sure, it's illegal, or it, it will be illegal, but there's no way to test it on the spot. So maybe we should have waited until there was a way to test it on the spot. I would just simply note that uh, according to research done by the federal government, approximately 900,000 people in Illinois use cannabis regularly. If we keep waiting and waiting, how many of those people are going to go to jail? And how many of those people are going to have their lives systematically and fundamentally altered? And I don't think personally that the, uh, the risks of the cannabis user on the road are as severe as they would be with the drunk driving. Just because cannabis is not, it doesn't affect the same motor functions that alcohol does. If you see someone who's ca characteristically drunk, they're stumbling around, they don't have balance, they lose vision. Cannabis doesn't do that, okay? It's not, um, it doesn't affect the same central nervous system, it's not a central nervous system depressant like alcohol is. So while I would not recommend anybody drive intoxicated on anything, I think the uh, level of risk is com significantly lower with cannabis than it would be for other drugs. And, and, and again, it, it's presently illegal, it will remain illegal. There are tests to be done. There are field sobriety tests that can be done by the officers right now. I have cases in counties, in the neighboring counties around here, where people have been charged with cannabis DUI. The officers did the test, they concluded the person was presently impaired and they were arrested. So it does happen right now. There are ways that you can do it because they are doing it. We can say uh, with cannabis, there is no overdose level. No one, to my knowledge, have I you know, anywhere ever seen that anyone has died from an overdose of cannabis. That is, to my knowledge, not possible. Now, obviously, when you're out on the black market and someone's having a bad day and they throw in a little rat poisoning, uh, you know, then you've got issues uh, that cities see a lot 
I knew a fellow in Chicago who worked for the Department of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse who bought drugs on the street and would have them tested to, to let the emergency room know what's going around. And he said, you can, you know, you can see anything. All of a sudden, somebody comes in. What have you done? What have you done? Oh, I you know, smoked the joint. Well, they know immediately that should not, <laughs> that should not put them in the predicament that they're in. But, you know, the testing that they did came back. Somebody threw in whatever. Now, again, with the legality, we shouldn't have those kind of issues. Um, uh, Shannon can probably speak to the, uh, the level of testing that's involved with the products that are sold at the local dispensaries. It's, it's pretty significant. Very much so. Um, before the products actually get to our dispensary, um, they are tested by a third-party lab. So um, the cultivators actually, they most of them test at their facilities. Um, they will then send that to the third-party testing and all of the labels on the products that we receive have um, stickers on there that note whether or not they have passed that testing. So, you know, they're testing for pesticides. Um, they're testing for anything that's not cannabis, basically. I mean, obviously Mold, there's, it, yeah, yes, molds, all that kind of stuff. So um, there's a big thing with fentanyl being in black market drugs right now. Um, you don't know what's in it when you're buying it on the street. Um, I understand where you're coming from with it being it'll be more readily available to people. So obviously there's gonna be more people who are gonna to try to operate vehicles and try to do things that um, you know they may not have done previously because they didn't have access to it. Um, but I think the more states that legalize, the more the federal government will do testing, the more that they will look into it, um, the more that they will um, you know, look for ways to test for it when people are driving. Um, there, there'll be more research involved. Um, so, I get where you're coming from, but at the same time, think of all the people that drive on hydrocodone and all the other prescription pills that they're getting from the doctors. You know, are we testing for that? Should we be? Probably. You know, just like we should be testing for, you know, cannabis and, you know, people that are driving. I, I get it, but I think it's just going to take some time before we get there. Um, and I think a lot of the states are going to rely on the federal government to put something in effect um, to help guide with that. So until the federal government kind of jumps on board and helps guide the states in that process, like I said, it may take a little time, but I, I definitely understand where you're coming from there. So if it's going to take a decent amount of time to regulate it, why legalize it now? Because if the states don't legalize it, the federal government wouldn't even try. So the more, like I said, the more states that start to do it, the more the federal government's going to look into it. Um, so the more states that get on board, you know, it's, it's going to be a more common thing that kind of forces the federal government to kind of get involved. about legalization and everything marijuana will be legal I mean liquor is legal people make it at home people you know make their own brew and all that is there any consequences to those who will grow their own weed uh, presently under the 
Illinois state law, medical cannabis card holders can grow up to five plants on their own. I'm talking when it becomes legal in January, can no. people, will they be able to grow their own weed? Legally, no. Legally, okay. no. So the answer's no. There's certain things I think need to be out there. That's one of them. When you buy your cannabis, you have to have cash, right? Because the federal money, you cannot use banks. Nothing can go through federal, correct? Some places have found a workaround, but for the most part, it is cash. But okay. uh, I would say the U.S. Congress, the House of Representatives just passed the called the Safe Banking Act, which is looking to mm -hmm. alleviate that cash-heavy problem. Okay. So, and the, the cost of when you purchase compared to other on the street, is it going to be higher cost at a facility, correct? Because it's quality stuff, right? Uh, I would quibble about the quality. However, I would say that the taxes built into the, the price and yeah. the supply and demand of the situation uh, would make it more expensive than it would okay. be on the street. Correct. So going back to the theory of people growing at home, making home, that's, you know, is there ramifications to those who grow illegal marijuana, not hemp, I'm all for the hemp, but the illegal marijuana at home and selling on their own? Yes, they could be arrested. They can have okay. their house raided. Theoretically, they would be subject to civil asset forfeiture. They can lose their home. Okay. And is that out there? Do is people understand that? I think, I think it was pretty clear that there was a big debate uh, around the, while this was going through the legislature, mm -hmm. the original a draft of the bill did include uh, home grow provisions for everybody over the age of 21. And that compromise to get that out, because law enforcement heavily opposed that, the compromise was to let uh, medical card holders only grow. So I think most people who follow the issue closely would know that they can't legally grow come January 1st. Now, if they have a card, sure, but most people don't. My thing is the common man, people on our caseload, don't know these. I mean, we need to really get the word out there. You can't. You cannot take across state lines. It's illegal in Iowa. We don't care if you have, you know, your pouch you got in Illinois. The moment you cross into Iowa, just like all the Amtrak people we have here who get arrested, we're dealing with that constantly. Let people know that's illegal. You have to keep it in Illinois. You're setting, sometimes you set people up for failure in other ways. That's my concern. They get across to Iowa, they get arrested because they get caught with it. They have that charge there. They can argue it's legal in Illinois. We've argued it. We've had many people from out of state. No, we're sorry. It's not legal here. You're on probation now. You're on, you know, these are the terms. Granted, a lot of them are big quantities. Some are small quantities. So we have to get the word out. It has to be 21 and over to use it. We have to get that word out. We have, you know, some of our youth already are saying. And we're constantly going, we don't even want you to use after 21. It's scientifically shown, I, we've been to tons of seminars, the adolescent brain is not fully developed until you're 26 years old. And marijuana affects it as you're developing. And, and, and I agree that um, education is key, but that goes for both sides, but not only um, everyday people, but also law enforcement. I think that anyone that's, going to, that's growing pot right now, they're not going to care if it's legal next year. 10 years from now, they're going to continue to do it. I think that um, if we we talk about it, like things like this help, that we can hear both sides of the argument. I think that when anytime there's an issue, say that the police mistake your hemp farm for a marijuana farm, I think that um, they should be educated and it shouldn't be, um, I'm against you. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I respect what you're saying because I understand that um, how drugs affect people's lives. But I've, I've, I've also lost friends to um, gun violence over marijuana. So I almost feel guilty growing it, you know? So it's almost like survivor's remorse. So um, I, and, and so I understand on both sides of it. It's not, it's not fair that so many black and brown people get arrested for that, but then 99.9% .9 of the cannabis industry is, um, is white male, right? So um, when it comes to just whether people are gonna um, go across state lines or grow it in their basement, people are gonna make mistakes. But as long as the education is out there, just like they had a big push for say no to drugs, if it starts at the federal le level, then that's gonna stick, right? So we, I think we just need more support from um, local government, federal government, and from each other to try to help and understand this because cannabis with the good and the bad is gonna be good economically, especially for Galesburg, right? Um, it could create a lot of jobs, um, maybe some skilled and some non-skilled. For, for example, with my aquaponic system, if I were to grow cannabis, right, that's a really sustainable way to grow. I'm not gonna use nearly as much water. Um, I'm not gonna have as much um, waste. I'm, gonna have a, I'm not gonna need to buy expensive nutrients, right? So if, if, if I'm growing cannabis, and it's organic, right, so people care about what they're putting in their bodies, right? But, so you can come and learn that from us. We always been open about learning how to grow anything. So if a medical patient, even if you're doing it legally, I'm not gonna ask you for your medical marijuana card. But here's how you do it safely, uh, right? And also, I can teach you aquaponics in general, how you can sustain yourself off raising both a protein like fish and um, a vegetable like lettuce or, or anything that you can grow. So like I said, I think education is key, but at both sides have to be educated. The police can't come in and kick down my door when I'm growing five plants legally, you know, and scare my kids, you know, or worse, or shoot my dog, you know. And, um, and like I said before, I am not um, anti-police. I, I, I respect our brothers in blue. I have family members who, who are um, police officers, but we, have, we all have to be educated, you know. Um, cops can't take you to jail for doing something legal, and we shouldn't be out here driving high. We shouldn't be having illegal grows. Those are the laws, and I think on both sides, if you make that mistake, then you're going to have to pay the consequence of that. And if, and those laws are going to be more strict. If you if you get caught out here selling weed next year, you're going to get some conspiracy charges, and I believe a quarter million dollar fine. So you're never going to get from under that. So if you continue on the black market just because the prices are cheap, well, you're going to go to jail for a very long time. Um, and it's not going to be like you're just selling weed. It's nothing. No, you're going to get a conspiracy charge, and you're, you're going to go to prison. So I think that's what's going to help. And on the flip side, I think that anybody that's been affected by the war on drugs should have a chance to make a living doing that legally, not just the um, already very rich. Well, just one comes, short comment. Um, if you look at a cannabis plant, you can't tell whether it is a hemp plant or marijuana plant. You can't. Not even an expert. Right? So that creates a complication. And that's something we, we need to know, you know, and understand. That there's, it's not as if, oh, that you're growing hemp and you're growing cannabis, or I mean, uh, marijuana. It, it, you can't tell until you send it in. And even if you, and I learned this from DeMarcus, even if you buy seeds to grow hemp, hemp does have some THC. It's low concentration. But it's possible when you grow 
when you buy seeds and grow hemp, you might exceed the federal level for THC. And that's where the testing has to be done. So you may not, you may choose to grow hemp, but end up growing marijuana. And, that, and that's just the reality of our situation at the moment, given our current understanding. Uh, our experts can allude to that maybe in further comments. We have an audience member. Yeah, my name is Dan Hass. My question's for Kelvin. Um, we got two Kelvins up here. Um, well, okay. How does the federal government get past, how do they not prosecute themselves for collecting illegal tax funds off of a plant that's illegal? They are, in fact, a cart they're at cartel status for the money they have collected off of something that is still de deemed illegal by them, but they're perfectly, they should be prosecuting themselves for the funds that they have collected. So how are they getting, how are they getting, how um, are they getting past that? This is a very complicated subject. Um, so I'm a criminal defense attorney. I'm not an accountant, but... Um, during the height of the uh, so-called war on drugs, uh, drug war and Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan and unfortunately Joe Biden himself, um, they passed a, a provision of the tax code, it's called Section 280E, which says that any person who's involved with the sale, distribution, or profiting off of a Schedule One controlled substance they themselves. will have to basically not be able to take any standard business deductions and pay a, almost an 80% tax rate. So cannabis being still a scheduled one controlled substance, which is the most severe of all the schedules, um, uh, on, on par with basically heroin. Um, for a little point of reference, uh, methamphetamine is a little bit lower on the schedules and uh, much other more dangerous deadly drugs. But that's getting a little off kilter here. So that section of the IRS code has not been uh, removed yet. There are currently ongoing efforts to remove that because it is but it is kind of ridiculous that from my understanding like in certain states california that they'll wait for to a grower to amass a certain amount of funds and then they'll come in and slap him with their little hey this isn't federally fucking legal and here we go we're going to take everything that you accumulated with a slap on the wrist and you can go back to business as you were but here we are yeah, no, well, it's taking them down under their own laws. They you have are, to remember be, who, um, who prosecutes them for doing the same. You have to remember when, uh, for example, if there's a drug raid and they seize a house and then they auction that house, the proceeds of those auctions are distributed among the law enforcement agencies that participated in the raid. So there is an incentive for, among law enforcement and prosecutors because they get a piece of the pie and they basically self-fund some of their own agencies and purchases or new cars or helicopters or guns yeah. based off the proceeds of these uh, law enforcement activities. So it becomes a very self-perpetuating problem. Yeah, well, I mean, the, as you the, can well imagine. Is, is they're collecting illegal funds off of something, you know, like, so well, I just, like, it's, is that going to be? We have a, it's called a dual sovereignty <laughs> system where a state can uh, pass a law like Illinois did with legalization where under state law, it's legal, but under the federal government, it's still illegal. I, so I the mean, feds will say, you know, you're still breaking the law. Uh, well, yeah, but they are as well with their with the revenue. They're creating, you know, I mean, that's, uh, who's going to... We have a very, um, we have a huge problem where we have almost 35 states that have passed some form of 
either medical or adult use legalization with cannabis. And at the same time, the federal government says it's as dangerous as heroin. Um, everything yeah. you do is illegal. They've been telling us. So we have this huge conflict between state and federal law. And there are, trust me, there are ongoing efforts that have been going on since early 1970s to change federal law. Because I, we know that a lot of the funding for law enforcement activities, I mean, they, they get grants to, they from the They need to change it for themselves for, so they're not well, implicated in, you know, collecting the illegal. Okay, I have one more question for Shannon. When are Illinois, you know, medicinal growers going to start growing medicinal quality marijuana? I mean, who is regulating? Okay, you say you have it tested for THC content, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as far as I know, you guys are all growing in ocean forests and aquaplakes. You know, that you're not growing medicinal marijuana. You are not growing organic marijuana, which is, you're, if you're going to call yourself medicine, it can't be grown any other way than 100% purely organic. And nobody is doing that because your cash croppers growing on a, a very, your, your ways of growing are very mediocre. Like, and anybody could do that. So medicinal quality of my world is connoisseur, perfect, pure, organic, you know. And if you're going to call yourself medicine, I mean, how could that be any other way? You get, so nobody is regulating what you're doing because of the money. So when is it going to become about the medicine? You know, you know, that's so I can't speak too much on the cultivation side since our dispensary gets everything prepackaged. Right. So we nobody aren't knows. growing There's it. There's no regulation so on quality. So uh, the Department of Ag oversees all of the cultivation centers. Um, so that's where their quality control comes in. Um, and then the third party lab testing on that. Um, I think that when the craft grow licenses open up, that will bring a whole new light to the medicinal side of cannabis. Uh, I'm saying you should already be there. You shouldn't be able to call yourself medicinal when you, you know, all you are is getting some cash cropper who's, who can blow up a room of something mediocre. That's all, that's simple. Anybody could do that. You should never be able to call yourself medicinal if that's not what you're doing. You're, you're, you're giving medicine to patients. That is not medicine. That is not medicinal. How, I think you know, a lot of people would argue that. Everybody cares about everything, but the government regulates everything, and everybody thinks they care so much about it, but really, this is just money. It's a money grab monopoly. You know, like, you aren't going medicinal. So when, yeah, when and like I said, I can't speak on that side of it since I'm not on the cultivation side. I know, but people have been here doing this for 30 years that are being looked over by Johnny Come Latelys that don't even know what, you know, you're out here representing somebody that you don't even know what they're doing, that you don't know what they're growing, you, but you're all about I've it. I've toured the cultivation facilities. Okay. So well, I, I have seen their, their operations on a full scale. I'm just saying that Illinois, you know, should give the people in, in their communities and their state a chance instead of, you know, this monopoly thing has got people Craft grow licenses. Yeah. I, and well, that will open that correct. up a ton. Yeah. So th right. I think that, that kind of solves that. You know, once people start opening these craft grows, I mean, that is when a whole new line of cannabis will come out. Medicinal it won't be the... Medicinal should be medicinal quality. That, that's I agree. All I'm you you I don't agree. label yourself medicinal, that's not what you got. But that's me. Okay. If you got, if you're speaking, you got to have a mic. Um, we're, just a parallel as you speak here on this matter, um, you know, 
I work, I teach urban ag at Knox, and, and through my education of, in that area, and I know we've got urban ag people here, what you realize is food is medicine. But if you ever had anyone in the hospital who, is, who are like borderline, you know, needing the best nutrition possible, they're fed some of the worst food known to mankind. Um, and so contradiction, right? And, and I think so there's some parallels. Uh, the same could be said for school lunches, right? Some school districts pay a lot of attention to what they feed their kids and how much and, you know, the quality control. Other school systems, for whatever reason, for variety of reasons, partly economic, because uh, they're getting, they're getting uh, overage to put it back into the food system, uh, milk and other products, meat, and so on. Um, the schools don't feed, a lot of school districts do not feed their kids nutritionally either, or they bend the rules to what's nutritionist, nutritional. I mean, you know, I remember classically uh, nachos with cheese is considered a lunch in a lot of school districts. Um, that's not a comprehensive nutritional diet, I don't think. But, but I think it's a good point, right? You, you, if we're going to call something medicinal, um, we, we, that word needs to have some, some substance to it. And if it doesn't, then, then let's use some other word. The way, the way licenses are distributed, the point system, basically the biggest gangsters who, who pool their money together get to have a license. That, you know, that ain't, that ain't, the people that have been passionate about it for 30 years, their whole life, the ones that care about the quality of the plant and the, the medicine that actually care about it, those are the guys who should be making up the laws about it, not people who, you know. So I, um, I can speak to that just a little bit. First of all, I want to say that on our farm, everything is organic. So if you're looking for good organic no, CBD that. medicine, that's right organic. Path, but you, your but, heart's in the right place yeah. you care about passionately. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're it not, is. You're not, you weren't doing it because hell, there's, there's a ton of money to be made with junk. Yeah, yeah but you, like was said like before, the, um, the craft licenses, I think it's going to change that a little bit, right? Who's so, going to get those old? I'm going to get. I'm going to put in the universe. I'm going to get one, right? right. So, um, the the way it works, it was supposed to be set up to help There's people who've been affected by the war on drugs, right? Is there only forty? Do I hear that correct? That's just for the first year, right? But the way it works, no sole person is going to be able to walk in and get a license, right? right. It probably wasn't fair for the the medical part, but in such a new industry, you got to have a lot of money to get going, right? Yeah, which, but, but so I went to a cannabis expo in Chicago um, just this past week in Rosemont. And um, the only way it's going to work, so it's based off a point system. So you can come in with a bunch of money, but without someone who's going to add those extra points to your system like me or you, I don't right. know if you've ever been affected by the war on drugs, but you would qualify as a social um, disadvantaged applicant, right? They cannot win without you. So what you need to do if you want to get involved is you got to start hitting up some of these these seminars, right, and find these people who have money, and then tell like you uh, the way I'm here, I might you have you probably have some type of growing experience, Here's right? The way, the way so, I think about that is I don't need nobody with money. I can start off with a ten by ten and end up with a warehouse. Yeah, and I hear I hear you on that all though. All by my damn self. Yeah, but the government is they are very like you got to have like security. You got to have a, a great business plan. So that's going to cost you a lot of money. And that's where you're going to need. Which I would have. Yeah, and, and that's where you're going to need those people with money. But those people with money are going to need you. They're going to need somebody with growing experience or somebody with a passion. Because yeah. as, a, as a, someone who uses marijuana, you're going to know if somebody grew that, 
you know, with love, right? So if you want to, if, uh, I think that craft licenses are going to help. I kind of think it was a little bit rigged, right? Because they're telling me oh, that if wow. I'm a socially disadvantaged person, I can get this license, right? But right. they don't tell you I'm going to need a security plan that's going to cost $50,000. I'm going to need a consultant. He's going to charge me $75,000. Right. I'm going to need an architect. Right. He's going to cost me $100,000. Yeah. And, and then I'm going to need a lawyer. That's another thing. Yeah, accountant, right? So what I'm saying is that instead of, um, instead of like, you may not be able to get 100% of the pie, right? But it's better to get 40% of a huge pie than versus your personal pan, right? So if you can team up with someone, team up with these people, and there might be people in this room who wants to get into cannabis, including myself, so you can talk to me afterwards. You have to work with those people. That's the only way, and that's almost in any business, especially when a business like cannabis. As long as they keep those like we can't hear you, sir. So um, I think this, is, uh, this raises a really interesting question. Point. I'm really glad it's being discussed. Um, Mr. McCabe kind of alluded to it earlier, right? So, the way this has been presented to the public, right, is we legalize marijuana now. Man, all is good or all is bad, right? I mean, depending on what side you're on. And of course, the devil's in the details, as it always is. Um, and so, it does require a tremendous amount of education. Um, where we are right now, as Mr. McCabe said, is not where we he would want to be, right? We there's a lot of, a lot of uh, challenges that face us as we move forward with this. There is a lot of money in drugs, legal and illegal, right? As we're seeing massive lawsuits against big pharma, okay? There's lots and lots of money. So you're absolutely right to question wh where's that money going, and um, who who has access to, to the pie. Um, and I, I don't think you're, Demarcus. You're not. You're not. Uh, uh, you're not sacrificing your values in order to be part of that process. You're actually partaking in the process and and trying to create the world you want. And that that's all. I, I mean, personally, that's all I think we can expect from those folks. And we need more people who are grounded morally to get involved um, and to speak up. And, and, and clarify that it isn't such a clear-cut case, okay? That once, and, and I, I'm an energy scientist, so you know, I look at what's happening on the energy front, and like, I'm all excited, solar panels are going up everywhere, but that's not, the way they're doing it right now is not the way it needs to be done in the long term, okay? And so, you know, it's one of those things, do you, do you say no, we only need it to be perfect in order to do it? Or do we need to get it rolling, and then we need advocates to clarify where the system is still broken and needs to be reformed, and and also support. And I, I would even argue, uh, you know, we're in an establishment that's, that makes its own beer, right? There are other establishments that sell beer, and they don't do it in the most environmental way. They don't do it in the most responsible way, um, and we should frequent those establishments that do, right? And so that's that's part of how we can contribute positively to, to shifts. So we have a comment from the audience. Well, just to tag onto that, um, I was going to say consumption, conscious consumption, which I hope to have a podcast about that in the near future, um, kind of tags onto this, frankly, because it is, that's an actionable step, right? There's tons of frustration we can all level at the federal government, the state government, city government if we want to, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, but the truth is conscious consumerism is really what I can do about it. 
Um, and so that's an excellent first step. And it's funny because you've been talking about, you know, beer versus craft beer. And there's all kinds of craft beer even too. And I get offended at the notion that some types of craft beer get to be called craft beer because they don't even kind of make it the way that I do. And, and stuff that gets called local does not spend the near amount of money that we do on local products, right? Because it means something different to everybody. But um, just rolling back to conscious consumerism as an actionable step. Um, but the question I had actually kind of goes back to the, the, the tagline for this event, and it's, will local, I'm going to bring that up again, local marijuana benefit us? And I kind of wanted to hear from dispensary, from a, a local employer, from a local grower about um, what you've seen as potential projections for the way that this can monetarily benefit us. I know we're all really worried about the criminal implications and, you know, the social implications, but I kind of want to talk about the economic benefit. So. I'm pitching that to Brandon and to Marcus and Shannon. Did you guys want to start with that? Or? Okay. Um, so we are projecting um, that Nature's Treatment, once recreational cannabis hits, um, that we will do at least 10 million in uh, sales in the first year. Um, Galesburg has um, implemented a 1.5% tax on those sales for us. Um, so that could be upwards of $150,000 back into Galesburg. A state tax, state sales tax as well? Yep, so the state tax can be anywhere from 15 to 25%. It depends on the product. So the state has broken it down a little differently depending on whether it's an edible product or whether the THC is above 25%. Um, so that'll be a little different. But then on top of that, Galesburg has implemented the 1.5%. So that will be going directly back into Galesburg. Um, another part of the recreational license is we had to decide um, how we were going to contribute to the community that we were opening the dispensary in. Um, so what we had decided um, with the application process um, is that we will be donating $100,000 um, in that we, this has to be every single year. Um, it's going back to a program that provides job training services to persons recently incarcerated or that operates in a disproportionately impacted area. So that money goes directly back into the community. Um, and that's going to be the same, you know, for every dispensary that opens um, that recreational license. They can pick and choose. It's between like five or six options. You know, it can be a $200,000 donation in a different area. Um, they can provide training courses for people to get involved in the industry. Um, and that's the one that we decided to go with was the $100,000 back into the Galesburg community to help those who have been incarcerated for marijuana charges that, you know, like we were saying earlier, that people now are making money off of. So um, that, that's what we're doing um, for the city. Well, I'm not um, in the marijuana business as of yet, but as far as hemp, the potential is there. So if anyone in here is an underground grower, I, I advise you to get into hemp. So the numbers are, I think, the next 10 years, Hemp flour for CBD is going to be on the same cost as um, marijuana flour, right? So I think it was around 450 bucks, 500 a pound. But right now, hemp flour is going between, I believe, $300 a pound to $700 a pound. So I make about $1.85 off a pound of lettuce. So <laughs> if, it, like, if you have good growing techniques and you're passionate about growing, you can still help people through CBD flour. So instead of, um, so I think it's going to create a lot of jobs. Whether you grow hemp for CBD, hemp for fiber, whether you get awarded one of those licenses, which is possible, I think, for anybody in here if you can build the right team. And I think it's going to have an economic um, impact on Galesburg. I think I'm going to be able to hire people. 
I think that many other businesses, and think about people who, like your business that was originally in food, now marijuana and cannabis has created a whole new way to make money, you know? And it's so new, um, I don't know. I, I don't know your business, but you could probably pick your price, you know, because this stuff is so new. And I encourage you, anybody, hemp, hemp um, cannabis is not a hard plant to really grow. It's a weed, right? It's going to grow through almost anything. So if you want to get into it, I can help you. I can teach you to do it in dirt. I can teach you to do it in a bucket. It's not going to cost you anything. Maybe you can help me uh, plant some seeds or something. I mean, but it's not going to cost you anything. So I encourage you to get involved. A hemp license is $450 for a year, I believe. And it's not nearly as taxed high as marijuana. So if a pound of marijuana is going for $1,300, $1,400, it's taxed 20% by the state, 2% by Galesburg. My hemp flower is going to get um, taxed like my tomatoes. So... Um, I think that's where you should go. Anybody that might be interested in, if you can't get into the cannabis, learn hemp first. Um, and I encourage that you can create jobs for yourself. A lot of people smoke hemp flour. A lot of people use um, hemp oil. A lot of people cook with it. There's going to be a whole new industry in Illinois next year. And if you can kind of get on the front end of that, you can make a living. Now, um, I don't think, I think there's enough for everybody. So you, don't, you may not be super rich, but if I can make enough to take care of my family, and not go to jail while I'm doing it, I feel like I'm a successful uh, business person. Uh, um, you can look us up on Facebook, Green Lords Inc. You reach out to me, I respond quickly, and, um, and I can help you out, and it's not going to cost you anything. Or if you just want to talk, if you want to even complain, I even listen. I like to complain sometimes, too. So. Yeah, I mean, we build everything mainly for the food industry, and um, we're following market trends and following the markets and what they need, and like I said, I mean, most of these opportunities have come from growers with issues or need help. And so we're kind of learning along with them and uh, doing testing and helping develop products for the industry. And most of what we're looking at is in the hemp industry, um, number one, because it's legal um, all the way through everywhere. And we have to be careful as a corporation with federal laws and money laundering if we're selling equipment for cannabis, and there's a lot of things there that we have to be really careful with with the federal government side of things. So um, again, we're trying to help producers. They're coming to us with um, remediation problems of black mold because they're growing this outside, and uh, in order to smoke it, they have to have a certain percentage, uh, less percentage of black mold, so we're developing remediation processes in order to do that. So we're going to kind of follow the trends and see what happens, see um, where the issues are and um, where we can kind of build a market niche and um, help everybody else out. Um, Follow-up question? Oh, go ahead. Um, are most of the growers that are coming to you Midwestern, are they coming from outside? Like, do you see um, Illinois jobs, fusion tech jobs, being created as a result of the new laws being passed in Illinois? Oh, most definitely. I mean, we got approached uh, this last week. Uh, there's about 3 million pounds of hemp that needs to be remediated um, in the industry right now, and they haven't even harvested this year. So uh, this particular farm is going to harvest 450,000 acres. Next year, a million acres, and it's, it's an industry problem because they're growing it outside, and obviously the land next door everywhere has mold in it so it gets into the bud and the flower um, they take that out and if it has a certain percentage too high they they can't use it to smoke or put it into cigarettes so, so definitely it's they've asked us to process it here um, 
we we don't want to sit here and build a big processing facility. I mean, we're um, in here to build the equipment, um, to build the process. Um, we have some food scientists on staff so from the food side, so it's really interesting getting all these minds together that partially have dealt, and they've dealt with the food side, how a lot of this is crossover and, and can really help this growing market. Um, if I could address one point, um, you know, a lot of people focus on the potential tax revenues. I also like to remind people that once it's legal and there's less arrest, there's, there's local tax savings. That is the taxes on the prosecutors, public defenders, the judges, the courthouse. When there are less cases, it's less work. I mean, I was in private practice since 2005 when I first got my law license. I specifically focused mainly on drug-related cases and my criminal practice. Um, my office in Macomb is at a, a university town, Western Illinois University is right there. A majority of my cases when I first started were cannabis-related cases. That has significantly been reduced. First with the decriminalization of 10 grams or less, um, and now with legalization coming, um, the number of cases and the strain on the criminal justice system is lessening. So there are legitimate savings. People, not as many people in the county jail. It costs money to put people in jail and feed them. So there are savings, not just revenues, but there's savings. And I think we need to consider that as well. Um, I have a quick question about, uh, about people with uh, marijuana records. Um, what does that entail? Does that, if you have a previous record plus you have a marijuana charge, is that gonna expunge the marijuana charge? Or is, is there a, I don't know, is there, I don't know, a rule that says that if you have a previous charge that you don't qualify to get your marijuana charge taken care of? Um, just real briefly, um, so the new law will basically legalize the possession of 30 grams or less. Right. So if you have a previous case that involved 30 grams or less, you will be eligible for automatic expungement. That is, you do not have to physically go and file something yourself or go to the courthouse to do it. So it doesn't matter if you have a previous felony for something else? No. The, not at all. It's, it's complicated. I'll just sure, say that. I, I, I bet it is. If most people have a standalone possession case. Um, and if it's the amount is 30 grams or less for that, it, basically it, it, the classification would be considered a misdemeanor. Sure. And in addition to that, you are eligible for expungement for a class four felony amount, which under the old law would be between 30 and 500 grams, but it has to be charged as possession. You have to file, if you had a class four felony, you need to file in the courthouse of the county you were arrested was in in order to, to seek that relief. As it stand before, if you were a convicted felon for that, you would not be eligible for expungement at all. So it does open up new avenues for relief. Now, if you had a semi-full and got a class X felony, no, you're not gonna be entitled to that relief. But it, for most people, 89 to 90% of all cannabis arrests for possession. Most of those people will be eligible for relief. And we're talking about millions of people, potentially, uh, hundreds of thousands for sure, that will uh, find relief coming uh, after January 1st. And then I have one more question about the difference between recreational dispensaries and a medicinal dis uh, dispensary. So uh, I was under the impression that if you have a medical marijuana license, you can't receive your medical marijuana from a recreational dispensary. I don't know if that's true or not. I just want to clarify for everybody yes. here. 
Yep, so the way that the state is handling it, um, like our dispensary in Milan is strictly medical right now. Um, we are doing an expansion to add kind of like a recreational portion to that dispensary. Um, now with all the dispensaries that are getting a second um, site opening up like we are doing in Galesburg, we will not be selling to medical patients there. It'll be a strictly recreational uh, dispensary. And what's the difference? Um, the only difference is gonna be I don't want to say only, but it's the main difference is the tax percentages and everything. So you either have a medical card and you get, you know, like right now for our medical patients in Milan, it's a 2% tax, 1% city, 1% state. Um, so it, the tax is a lot cheaper there. Um, but just having a medical card and having a qualifying condition or you're just a recreational purchaser or as they're calling, you know, like an adult use. So that's the main difference. Uh, medical patients can also possess at minimum 2.5 ounces as opposed to just 30 grams for uh, adult use person. And medical patients can grow five plants. Yes. Uh -oh. you, 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 spoke, you, spoke, you spoke and you said it's, I think you said it was 1.5% taxes. Mm -hmm. Now, I was under the impression it was 3% and then you were going to get a reduction for two years for to 1.5. Um. I know that the way that the state had put that in is the cities could do 3%, um, and I'm, I'm, I may be misinformed there, but I was under the impression that for the first two years that Galesburg was gonna do the 1.5% for our dispensary. Yeah, I think that's, if I, was, if I remember correctly, it's 3%, but you get a reduction for two years to 1.5. That makes sense, yeah. Okay, yep. the other part was about $100,000 that you're gonna, um, for recent, now, why isn't $100,000 for anybody that's, that's been impacted by it? To be able to use that to help them uh, reassimilate back into society, you know, build jobs or whatever they need to help them get past where they've been. Um, is that recent or is that anybody that's been impacted by it? If somebody's been out of jail for 10 years and they're still struggling because they can't get a job. It could be anybody. So. Um we're not entirely sure which program it will go to specifically, um, but the main goal is to go towards the people that have been incarcerated for cannabis use. So, um, I mean, I don't think we get to pick and choose which ones that it goes to, um, but I would assume that we're gonna work with um, local businesses, you know, the local health department, um, everyone in the city of Galesburg to make sure that those people that were affected by that um, are taken care of and, you know, that maybe help them get in the industry or just help them find jobs in general after they're released or you know, their records are expunged. Okay, I think that was a systemic part of it that I have a, a struggle with because I give you some money or give the city some money. They'll use it where they want to, not mm -hmm. exactly where it needs to be used at. So I would, you know, I would uh, advocate that you guys have some kind of input on that. Absolutely. Where it should be actually going and who it should be actually helping. And that would be a lot better because um, I actually didn't want it in my neighborhood. It's right around the corner from me. Mm -hmm. Not because I don't like the product or the industry. Uh, we've got four liquor stores. You know, we've already, we're in a depressed area already. I call it the food desert and a liquor oasis. So I struggle with it, you know. Mm -hmm. Not because of your industry, but because of systemic racism that has put that kind of product in our neighborhood and continues to. Um, I want to address uh, this gentleman here. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And the young lady behind me, she's dealing with it in a different way. I would like her to know that I know guys that are lawyers. I know guys that work for the railroad. I know guys that are engineers that do marijuana. And 
they have been they have been doing it for years, and they are very successful people. And when it's considered a gateway drug, when I hear that, I hear what the government has said, not what's going on in reality. And that's a that's a problem that we have to get past. We have to really understand and know. If you knew somebody, and I guarantee you, you know somebody, you just don't know that they're doing it. That they have been doing it for years and years and years. And far as his concern about the craft growers, I think the craft growers will do a lot better than the USDA. The USDA has never, ever, ever been uh, um, reputable, as far as I'm concerned. So I understand his plight and understand what he's saying about it. So there's a, a lot of problems that we're going to deal with, and there's a lot of problems that need to get fixed. Um, I think the quality is going to be a lot better. Um, anytime big business is in something, we don't have hog farms anymore because big, big business is taking it over, and they're selling this junk. You know, so those are other things we need to look at. And I would be in, I would really love to see the mom and pop be able to produce be able to grow and be able to sell their product because all mom and pops have been moved out. I mean, where the liquor stores are at now, those used to be mom and pop grocery stores. And we no longer have those anymore. So those are things that are important. I'm glad to hear about the 50 points that we get. But we have been, we've been the one that's been going to prison for it. People of color have been going to prison for it. And, and I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think that we should get a big piece of the pie, you know, because we have been the, the first people that have been punished the most for something that we are only in a minority to do. I'd like to address this young lady or whoever talked about um, driving. That's just debunked. It's not true. I know too many people that have DuPont that don't get drunk, that, that don't get high and drive and hurt somebody. But we, we have a problem with how we think. How many deaths have been caused by distracted driving your cell phone? They're, they're not cutting them out. They're not making a regulation that says your cell phone should automatically just go to your speakers, which is very easy to do, and you wouldn't be distracted driving. So we, we have to really educate ourselves on the how we have been manipulated or taught to think certain things about one thing and not about the other. I think 58, I think I looked up 58% last year of all teen accidents with distracted driving. We have made no laws to say teens can't have a phone. And so we, we, we're putting a precedence on something that the government wants to tax and make money off of, but something they're making money off of, if it kills you, it doesn't make any difference. Thank you for your comments.
had patients that test positive because hemp products do have 0.3%. So um, if you're okay with hemp, we should be okay with cannabis too. Oh, thanks. Anyone else? We're a little past our hour. <laughs> well, it's a two-hour program, Bruce. You forgot. <laughs> We got to come in the back. Okay, 62 years old, so I've been around the block a few times, and I know about marijuana, okay? 62, let's talk about it. Mar Woodstock and all that, okay? The concern I have, first of all, what are your demographics? Who is going to go in and buy it? Are we talking, are you looking for the 60-year-olds? Are you looking for 20 the mid-20s, what's, what's your, because you've got to have a demographic. If you're a business planner and it's a business, tell me who your people are going to be that are going to buy it. No, but I want to know, because they've got a business already. They have a business plan. I want to know who they're expecting mm -hmm. and, I mean, who, who are your customers going to be? Yep, so um, right now, the demographic for the medical cannabis program, um, I believe it was like 75% were over the age of 40. Um, and that was just, a, you know, studies ran by the state of Illinois for who has their cards. Um, now, with recreational cannabis, 21-year-olds can come in and buy recreational cannabis. Um, we're going to have 21-year-olds coming in, and we're going to have 75-year-olds coming in. What's the percentage that you see of the 21-year-olds versus 75? Do we have a percentage? You've got to have some. I don't know as of right now, um, just because, I mean, we could look at other states, we could look at, you know, Colorado, but at the same time, when I make a sale to a recreational purchaser on January 1st, I can't record any of their information. I can't take their name, I can't take their age. There's no way for me to track so, that. So you don't have a pulse, none of you on that panel has a pulse out of what, who are going to, because first of all, it, 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 I, yes it does, and yeah, usually, it does. Uh, there's a big difference between a 21 year old some of, some of this will be determined by economics. So the price of cannabis right now in a dispensary is typically in the state of Illinois more expensive than it would be on the street. People that are younger usually have access to people that they could get it from. People that are older usually don't feel comfortable going to a hookup. You know, they're not going to do that. They also have more disposable income. Buying the illegal, I mean, I think if we're going to legalize it, in my brain, that should be a good thing because that means it's the good stuff. And, it, I mean, it's, it doesn't have any bad, you know, additives in it. And, you know, what I'm saying, you know, the guy that's going to grow well, it. But if we're going to have cost prohibitive, it's well, not going to help, is it, for well, buying uh, the illicit? My organization, the, the, the normal organization, um, does not advocate for, for monopolies. Uh, just to give you a, a quick num some numbers, uh, the state of Colorado has currently has over 1,200 licensed cultivators. The state of Illinois has roughly 21. We have double the population of Colorado. We need to massively expand the licensing structure so that we could adequately price this. If we want to displace the black market, so to speak, or the underground market, that's what the, that's the goal. we need to lower the price to make it uh, feasible for the average person to be able to purchase it. If we have Let's say we did a thousand production licenses, it would also create a lot more jobs. 
So unfortunately, the way that the legislation is right now, um, it's very restrictive because they want to have a very tightly regulated, very controlled um, program or system. They want to keep it relatively well. Yeah. Well, there was. Once one good thing about um, it being done through the legislature is that the legislature can always revisit the rules they put in place in the past in new legislative sessions. So there will always be people like me, our organization, other organizations that are trying to do what we think is the smartest thing to do as it is expand it. If we want a safe regulated product to be available for, for the people that want it, we have to be able to do something about the price. Now, we are not gonna have price controls um, in, in the United States or something, but we can do uh, what capitalism does best is we can use innovation. We gotta give people an opportunity. If it's too expensive to get a license, people won't get a license. If it's cheaper to get a license, a lot of people are gonna get a license. But if there's a cap on the number of licenses at 20 and there's 6,000 people that want one, we gotta find some kind of balance and we are working towards that. We would encourage you to uh, contact your local legislators and state senators and be persistent with them. They will listen to you, but I, I encourage everybody, if you have a personal belief that you believe strongly in, contact your legislators. We need all the help we can get. All right, this is not so controversial. <laughs> what would, when business owners and legally, you heard about legalization of marijuana, what was one, your immediate reaction and two, what is your hope for us, for your businesses, and for the Midwest economically? Uh, my immediate reaction. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I guess my immediate reaction was anything that the government can get their hands on doesn't seem to turn out too well, I guess, is where I started. Um, and the issue with taxation and the other markets that aren't taxed and how you can drive the underground market out when you have so much taxation on something that you're going to become legal, I don't see how that will ever happen. Um, so that, that, that was the thing that probably threw up the red flag for me. Um, what was the other part of the question? What's your hope for uh, economically, or what's your hope for the economical development of the Midwest or Galesburg? Or um, you know, my hope is to bring other jobs. I mean, it's, a, it's another industry for us to try to grow and, and to develop equipment for it, which obviously will bring um, them blue collar jobs and manufacturing jobs around into the area. 
Um, that's what we do. I mean, that's the majority of our employees are, are blue-collar jobs in manufacturing. So it will allow us to grow that sector, which most of it, like Galesburg, obviously, there's not many left with Butler gone and Maytag, and you can name all of them. Um, um, so uh, the goal there is to bring manufacturing back, and this possibly is a good way, and we're exploring that avenue. <laughs> well, I think um, my first reaction was excitement at first. You know, um, I just thought about, because I really love Colorado. It's a beautiful state. Then they have legalized marijuana, so they, I thought it was kind of forward thinking. And I thought, um, I never thought that Illinois would, would do it. But then at the same time, like I said before, I kind of have like survivor's remorse. I'm like, so people can come in to make money off this? And, um, and I have friends that have been arrested and even killed over it. So I thought that was, I mean, I just felt like, man, that's kind of messed up, right? But okay, they're going to they're gonna let people who've been affected by it in. And as I, um, as I read into it, they were saying, well, if you're affected by the war on drugs, you got caught with a little bit of weed. Like you said, you weren't El Chapo. You're not, um, you know, flooding the streets with it. You just were trying to either, you know, whatever you were doing. And um, I thought that, okay, this is a great opportunity for me to get in it. But then I did the deep dive. They want you to have agricultural experience, right? So I'm the only black farmer I know personally, right? So I'm like, I grew up in Chicago. We didn't have gardens. We didn't have access to fresh produce. So, um, and I and I hear people, I, I read the comments. Uh, I've been in the news lately. I, re I read those comments. And um, most of them are supportive. But then, and I understand that the people who are against it, they have their reasons. And those reasons are valid. Whether it's, whether it's the safety concerns or whether you feel like your business is going to get undercut. But if you are truly a business person, you have to grow through those things and, and, and find your niche. You may not be able to grow and compete with these places, but they also have transportation of marijuana. Um, that's going to be a license. You're going, they're going to have marijuana lounges. It's going to be jobs that's going to be created for that. And what I think is what I'm hoping for in the future, and uh, for myself personally, for my family, I want to be the person in my family to help create generational wealth, right? Because a lot of black families don't have that. Right? And, um, and I make a lot of sacrifices. Like I said, my wife's pregnant, and I haven't been home since 5 this morning in between my farm you know, and, and coming to speak to you guys. And so I have to make sacrifices, right? But I understand a long time ago, even with um, prohibition of um, alcohol, people have to make sacrifices in order for their family to build off that. We, we think about somebody like the Kennedys. I don't know if you know the history, but I'm pretty sure that his, his grandfather was a bootlegger, right? Yeah. So he made that sacrifice. You know, he was willing to make that risk. It, it, it's something that he didn't think that should have been illegal in the first place. So um, I think that we all have a chance. You have to believe me when I say this. I grew up in Chicago, on the west side of Chicago, where they, we weren't supposed to make it to 25. And I'm sitting here, and people actually want to hear me talk about something. And they see me as a leader in a the, in the, in the new industry. So if I can do it, you can do it. Don't, don't let big government push you out. I grow lettuce. People ever in the world grow lettuce. That doesn't mean there isn't room for me. You know, I can go to Hy-Vee, and Hy-Vee will purchase my lettuce before they're purchased somewhere out of China or California because they buy local. And, and great people like you guys buying local. People are willing to pay for that. So I think that um, for anybody that's against it, maybe educate yourself, and you don't have to change your mind about it. You, you can feel how you want to feel about it, and I think everyone should respect that. And for the people who's for it, 
And um, I think there's going to be economic growth. And for the people who feel like they're going to get cut out, you're only going to get cut out if you don't try. That's the only way. So if you're growing good stuff, you think you got the best stuff, then you need to find somebody who needs a grower, you know, because they're out there, right? So I, I was approached by multiple people because they look at me as the ticket to a license, right? Black guy. And I was in this expo. He said the, the ideal candidate for these points is a black male without a felony with a small drug offense. So I'm like, okay, this is why, you know, this is why people are so interested in me. I thought it's because I was a good talker. I don't know, but it wasn't. So um, I think that, like, if, if you want to get in there, man, do your research, man. Like I said, reach out to me. I got information. Don't, don't let big business push you out. I mean, because where's big business without the people? Then they, they won't exist. The people will support your product in this town, you know. So like, like you said, if you want organic product, you can come to us. We're, we're, we're going to provide the organic. You can see where your stuff is grown. I would take you on the tour for free, take the time out of my day to show you that we care about what we're doing. And I'm not saying that these medical places don't either because they have growers like you in there who care about their product too. But you got to find your way in there. I just saw the place in, um, Del what is it, Delavan, they're hiring right now. You know, so that could be your ticket into that door. They don't care if you got a weed offense. I mean, you might not want to share with the world that you're a grower, but you can tell them that you, you know the plant. That's why I said getting to, like, things like hemp. You don't, you don't need a big business to take you in on that. You can own less than an acre of land or even, I think, 500 square foot of indoor space and grow your hemp there, and people will buy it. So um, I, I just encourage you, don't feel cheated because we all have been cheated. That's why the 1% of the world has most of the um, money, right? But there's still, like, uh, the 99% of the world, we're still out here working every day to do what we need to do to take care of our families. But if you don't work, then you don't eat. So it, it really doesn't matter um, who's in control. So, oh, uh, Just, uh, just uh, briefly, uh, my first reaction was it's about damn time. Uh, Normal was actually founded by a gentleman named Keith Strop, who was a Southern Illinois farmer. It was founded in right after... Uh, about 1970-ish, and when uh, Jimmy Carter was president and there was a push for legalization at that time, they thought for sure it would be legal by 1980. And then Ronald Reagan came in and the war on drugs ramped up. And here we are in 2019 having the same debate that they had in 1970. So we are making progress. I think the future, it's almost on an inevitable track. Multiple other states other than Illinois are doing this. More and more are going to keep doing it. As the more people do it and they realize the sky doesn't fall, it's going to keep expanding. So there is going to be nothing but, I think, an upside as far as economic activity, jobs, not just with cannabis but with hemp, everything. So I do believe that we are at a, a very uh, lucrative, possibly lucrative time. And as if you wanted to invest in something, you might want to do it on the ground floor. I think we're at that ground floor, but that ground floor is starting – fall away because big, big, big companies are starting to get their, uh, get involved. So I, I would recommend if people want to get involved, they got to do it now. The, the time is now. Okay. Well, we, we've exhausted two hours. Um, I think it's awesome. I think um, you guys have done an excellent job. I mean, I want to reiterate, I mean, these, these folks behind me um, who are the panelists, I mean, they, they were invited. They willingly came. They sacrificed their time. None of them were paid to come here tonight. Uh, the, the owners of this lovely establishment and even their 
one of their parents is helping us with this project. Um, it's phenomenal. And it's grassroots this is what we're talking about. So I, I really hope uh, people got something out of this and they could share it. We're going to have the, the podcast available um, soon. So if, if not very soon. So contact one of us or someone in this restaurant and they'll definitely get get your uh, in the brewery and they'll definitely get get the information to you. We're going to have another one of these on a different topic, not yet meant, not, not announced. So, and that I think is uh, the 26th of October. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, the fourth Thursday. So be on the lookout for that right before Halloween. You can come in a costume if you want. It'd be awesome. <laughs> but thank you so much. Have a great night. Be safe. Go Galesburg. <laughs>